Um, we are talking about, we're in our core value series, and so this morning we're moving on from undeniable, we've been talking about the undeniable message of Jesus, and this morning we're moving on to the unbreakable body of Jesus. That's the person sitting next to you. Look at them and smell them quickly. How do they smell? That was uncomfortable, wasn't it? You're know, like, forget the unbreakable body of Jesus. That was just the uncomfortable body of Jesus right there. Smell your neighbor. People that, are, people that are here for the first time, you're never coming back, right? Like, that's a church that smells people. You don't want to go there. Um, so this morning we're moving on to the unbreakable body of Jesus. We'll be talking about this for a couple weeks. This morning I want you to, we're going to talk specifically about the core value that says we value unbreakable unity. Um, on the, just past midnight on March the 3rd, 1991, one speeding car set off a chain of violent events that ended in what USA Today said was the 22nd most memorable speech ever given. If I say the name Rodney King, some of you will know right away who that is, and some of you will go, who's that? Rodney King was um, chased down by police 1230 just past midnight on March the 3rd, and when they caught him, they dragged him out of the car after a high-speed chase, and they start beating the snot out of him and they didn't know that there was a guy that lived next door that was videotaping the whole thing this is before youtube and that thing just went as viral as it could go in that day it sparked a huge outcry about racial division in la those guys um kicked him over 50 times i mean over six times beat him over 50 times with their with their batons um totally did a number on him and when they were brought up to trial a year later they were acquitted, and L.A. went nuts. The single largest urban outbreak of violence in the history of our country. Um, 53 people died over three days, 4,000 injuries, 7,000 fires, 3,100 businesses damaged, over $1 billion in damages. And so on May the 1st, 1992, a nervous Rodney King stands in front of a bunch of TV cameras, and he delivers this speech that went down in history. The 22nd most memorable speech in American history was delivered by Rodney King. It was a, it was a fairly short speech, but five words made him famous. And when I say them, you'll know what they were. He said this, can we just get along? Simple question, Right? In the years that followed, King was awarded $3.8 million from the city of Los Angeles. He blew most of it, starting a hip-hop label that sunk. He was arrested again on alcohol-related charges in 93, 95, and 2003. In 2007, as he's riding down the sidewalk on his bicycle, he got shot with buckshot from behind by a couple that wanted to steal his bike. In 2011, he was arrested again for erratic driving, exactly 20 years to the day of the first time he was arrested. And in July of 2011, he was arrested again under the suspicion of driving under the influence. Here's a man who stood in front of the country and said, can we just get along? And apparently the answer is no. What could happen if we did just get along? What would happen if we had unbreakable unity? I guarantee it would get the attention of a world that can't get along. If you've got one of the sheets, you're one of the lucky few. 
Here's the blanks at the top to fill in. We value unbreakable unity. And we expect each member to defend our family, our vision, and our leaders with tenacity, truth, and grace. We value unbreakable unity and expect each member to defend our family, our vision, and our leaders with tenacity, truth, and grace. So we're going to break this into three parts. Um, we're going to look at what unity isn't, and then we're going to look at what unity is, and then we're going to look at what, uni what unity does. Okay? So let's just, sometimes the easiest way to define a term is to talk about what it's not, right? So let's just quickly breeze through some things that unity is not. Number one, unity is not a cult. A cult is when people appear to be unified, but they're really just brainwashed. Unity is not a dictatorship. That's when people appear to be unified, but they're really just afraid. Unity is not a pact. That's when people appear to be unified, but you know what they really are? They're, they're really untrusting. I don't trust you, and I don't really trust you, so let's make an agreement that we'll never mess with each other. Unity is not a feeling. That's when people appear to be unified, but they're really just quiet. How many of you will avoid conflict at all costs? Raise your hand. Yeah, a lot of people are like that. How many of you will um, start conflict at all costs? Let me see your hands. <laughs> you all the ones who are like racing fists. Yeah, baby, that's me. Sometimes it seems like there is um, unity, but really it's just, I mean, I don't want to just say it's always guys that are aggressive and girls that aren't, but sometimes like in families, it seems like there's unity, but really it's just a really dominating man and a, a wife who just doesn't want to mess up the peace. Sometimes it seems like we're unified, but we're really just quiet. And last, it's not a goal. A goal is when people appear to be unified, but they're really just focused, right? Um, like we're going to be focused on baking 30 cakes or 40 or 50 or 100. This would be awesome too. But that doesn't make us unified. It makes us appear unified because we might all be in the same kitchen at the same time baking the cakes, but we're just focused, Unity is not a goal. All of these things are external. They try to achieve unity by doing something on the outside. But they ultimately fail, and here's why. Because the, the biggest thing that unity is not is it's not possible without Jesus. That's why people that aren't Christians... They may be great people. They're probably very nice people. I mean, some of them are nicer than, well, honestly, you. Love you. Mean it. I could have looked at anybody in here, right? But over time, consistently, they will not be able to always get along. It's not possible to have the unbreakable unity we're talking about without Jesus. Um, just jot this down. In Ephesians, that's where we're going to be looking. In Ephesians, Paul uses the phrase in Christ 36 times. This is a book of six chapters. It's not a long book. So by the time they got finished reading this letter, they're thinking, in Christ, in Christ, in Christ, in Christ. In Ephesians um, chapter 4, everything he says to the Ephesians about unity is based on verse 1, where he says that we are prisoners for the Lord. Okay, so what unity is not. It's not a cult, a dictatorship, a pact, a feeling, a goal, and it's not possible without Jesus. So let's talk about what unity is. It is a byproduct. That's a great term. 
I don't know what you think about when you think of byproducts, but I can't say what I think about when I think of byproducts. Hmm, people, you'll get that later, and you'll be like, Ew. It's a byproduct. In other words, it comes from within. It comes from hearts that have been yielded to and changed by Jesus. Unity is not something we try to get. Rather, it's something that we are given. Everybody turn to Ephesians chapter 4. Read the first three verses. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 1. As a prisoner for the Lord, then, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you've received. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Verse 3. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. It is not our unity. Whose unity is it? Spirit, capital S. It's the unity of the Spirit. So we don't get unity. We don't try to achieve unity. We're given unity in Christ. When we become a prisoner of the Lord, we are given the unity of the Spirit. It's not something that we are given. It's something that we're supposed to keep. Byproducts naturally are cause and effect. If this happens, then this happens. And 2 Corinthians 5.17 says... All things are new. You're a new creature in Christ. The old is gone. The new has come. Talks about a cause. We're new creations, right? And then talks about an effect. The natural effect is unity. Here's the number one thing that you can do to cause you to have unity with people in this room. One, look at them while I say this. Just look at somebody else while I say this. When we read 2 Corinthians 5.17, we read it about us. Is that fair to say? We read it and go, oh, all things are passed away. Oh, the old has become new. And we look in the mirror and we're like, I'm liking the new me. Oh, yeah. I mean, suck the gut in first and then I like the new me. I'm liking, man, I am looking good. Read that verse about others. And unity happens like that. When I read that about Michael... Michael gets on my nerves. He says something I don't like. I want to cause some conflict. But Michael's a brother in Christ. And so I go to 2 Corinthians 5, 17, and I go, oh, wait a second. Michael is a new creature in Christ. He's a new creation. The old has gone. The new has come. We read, we read it about us. It's about all of us. The person you smelled earlier, it's about them. If they're in Christ, they're a new creature. The old has passed away, the new has come. It's a cause and effect. Um, we mentioned the women wanting to get together. Here's, here's how unity becomes a byproduct. The reason that women want to get together next Monday night, you know why? Because somebody came up and said, I just would love to get together with some of the women in church and get to know them better. I love that. That's a whole lot better than me standing up saying, we've called a meeting on March the 12th, and you ladies shall be there because you need to get to know one another. Thus says the pastor. That's, that's how we try to get unity. If we just get a bunch of people in the same room, do something together that's fun, like cornhole, we'll have unity. 
No, you'll just have people throwing beanbags in a hole. It's a great game. I'm not knocking it. I'm just saying that's not unity. That's a game. But when people have it coming from the inside, when it's a byproduct, man, we've been hanging out here at this really packed coffee shop, and we've been worshiping Jesus, and I just, I'm loving what God's doing. I just feel something on the inside. I just want to get to know you better. That is a byproduct. That's what unity is. That's why the New Testament church met together so much. Can you, I mean, I don't know how many of you, how many of you guys, honestly, you like to go home at night and just kick your feet up and watch what you um, DVR'd for the day? Raise your hand. I'm, I'm that way. I'm a bit of um, a hermit, I guess. I like to go home, just kind of kick my feet up. You know, we're the family that when the phone rings, either me or Wendy will say, who's calling us? And, I, you, and usually one of the other person will say, well, that's why you answered the phone. <laughs> who's calling you know you just or you get call ID whatever I mean we don't you just get home you don't want to be bothered you know but in the New Testament when I read it and I read Acts you know what I find it's like I see these people that just wanted to hang out together they just always want to get together hey it's not Sunday so let's just hang out at your house and then let's go to your house the next time hey I got an idea let's go to Zaxby's they all ro- rode their donkeys to Zaxby's let's just hang out the place didn't matter. What mattered was, can we just get together? And we read that from our busy North American standpoint and go, God, who's got time for that? Because we're still trying to force unity to happen. I'm telling you, if you stay at the gathering long enough, you're going to see unity just start to explode in this place. Because we value unbreakable unity. We actually expect that someone will call someone else and say, let's go hang out. We'll stop going to the movies by ourselves. We'll be calling people and saying, hey, let's go see this movie together. I'm going to Sagebrush. You want to come? We can wait for three hours together. <laughs> no offense to anybody in here that works at Sagebrush. It's just reality. <laughs> so unity is a byproduct. It's not a goal. It's a byproduct. Unity is also a tapestry. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 12 to 31. Just jot that down. We won't read the whole thing. But it talks about how we are in the body of Christ. We are one body, but many parts. It's okay to be different, isn't it? Yeah. It's, that was a resounding yes. It's okay to be different. We don't want to have, um, we're not clones. I mean, I know you're sad because you all wish that you could be me. I'm kidding. I'm, I wish I could be you. We're, it's okay. But First Peter 3.8. I know that was so random. I'm sorry. 1 Corinthians 12, 12 through 31. It's awesome that I could answer a question from the front row. 1 Peter 3, 8 says this. Finally, all of you live in harmony with one another. Be sympathetic, love as brothers, be compassionate and humble. Um, the word for harmony, it, it literally means one mind. And I thought about the word harmony. What, what is harmony? You guys that can sing. It's when Phil sings a note and Christian sings a different note. And it sounds amazing. Now, 
if we got, you know, say, Jay up here, and I heard you can sing, so it's possible, and Jay sings a note, and then, you know, we get Gary up here, and Gary sings a note, and maybe it doesn't sound so good. I mean, y'all have heard people that sing harmony, but it doesn't harmonize, right? Y'all do watch American Idol, don't you? Like when they put them in groups, and it doesn't quite work out, and it's, you just kind of go, oh, stop. Oh, that's just not good. We're called to live in harmony. It's actually good to be different from one another. That's part of what the unity is all about. We sing different notes. We do different things. How can we be different but live in harmony? You've got to understand how the body works. All the parts in your body grew from one cell. They were not like uh, Mr. Potato Head. I love Mr. Potato Head. Isn't this awesome? This is, the, this is a real Mr. Potato Head. Collector's edition. Like if I dropped it, somebody's going to kill me. This is how we typically think of the body of Christ. I mean, hopefully that not that the body looks this bad, but we look we think of it like this. Um, we'll just take this ear off and we'll just put the eye over here and just interchange it. Did y'all do that when you play with potato head? I used to do this all the time, just put places in the weirdest places. Um, that's not how the body of Christ is put together at all. The body of Christ is not made up of interchangeable parts. Just pull one off and put, well, we don't like this ear. We'll get another ear that's cooler. That's not the way the body of Christ is put together. The body of Christ is put together just like your body's put together. Now, I'm pretty sure if we wanted to, we would get all of your attention. If I suddenly had a visual illustration where we pulled Doug up to the front and we got a chainsaw and we just decided we're going to get Doug a better right arm. And so we just, and then we just stick another one on there with super glue. How many of you know that's not going to work? Because that's not the way the body's put together. It doesn't pull out, plug in. We're not interchangeable. We're not disposable. We're connected. The body of Christ is connected. Um, Ephesians 4.3 says, Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. What is the peace? Ephesians 2.14. It's Jesus. Ephesians 2.14 says, He is our peace who makes the two one. Literally, the bond of peace means ligaments. Ligaments are important, right? I mean, have I, have I told you about when I... S- severed the ligaments that attached my collarbone did i tell you all that oh, i have to tell you the story some other time i don't have time today but i had a skiing accident and so when i landed i landed on my shoulder right here and so it literally you got three ligaments that hold down your collarbone and mine all got severed like that and so it just like the, the impact pushed my collarbone up and which is really cool because i have this little bump here which is the end of my collarbone and you can, like, push it up and down. You can freak people out, like, in grocery stores. Hey, kid, check it out. You know, you can. I don't have any ligaments. I mean, it's just that's, that's what ligaments do. They hold things together. And Ephesians 4.3 says, when you keep the unity in the spirit by the bond of peace, it's a ligament, literally the ligament of peace. And Ephesians 2.14 says that Jesus is our peace. So when you're, when you're in relationship with Jesus Christ and I'm in a relationship with Jesus Christ, we literally have Jesus as a ligament holding us together. 
We're a tapestry. Yes, we're different, but he's made the two one. How many of you used to play Red Rover growing up? Hands in the air. How do you win Red Rover? You get the strongest people on one side and they lock arms, correct? You know how you could get weak people to win Red Rover? Just, just picture this. Get all the smallest kids and just line them up and tell them to lock arms, and they do. And now this is going to sound really, really weird, okay? Just bear with me. I'm sorry. This is how my mind works. If you could take like a solid steel rod and just like start on this side and slide it through and all the way through to the last kid, kind of make them look like a line of foosball players, it doesn't matter how strong they are. When some dude comes running to get through, he ain't getting through. That's how the body of Christ is. The bond of peace, Jesus literally weaves through each one of us. He weaves this tapestry. We're all different. We have different gifts, but it is an unbreakable unity. When you know Jesus and so do I. Foosball. That would be awesome. Some of you are like, I can't bring my kid back here because I don't know what he's going to do when they have a children's church. Steel rods. <laughs> so, unity is a byproduct. Unity is a tapestry. It's also a testimony. And this is why unity is such an incredible thing. Unity in the body is the most powerful witness we have to a world that the best they have to offer is a billion-dollar riot in L.A. The world does not know how to get along. And so when they look at Christians, they're not wondering how many verses you know, if you know that there's 66 books in the Bible, if you know everything there is to know about theology. You know what? Sometimes they just look at you and say, but dude, how do you get along with those people? Have you ever had somebody ask you that question? I have. Like, why, are they, why do you like that person? Because of Jesus. It's a testimony to the world. When they see us get along, they want to know how in the world we're pulling that off. And the answer is Jesus. John 17, 21. Jesus is praying. He said, there's nothing that we could do outside of love one another and have unity that would prove to the world that the Father sent him. Can you imagine that? Jesus, this is the last prayer that he prays for his disciples. The last recorded prayer, and four times in that prayer, he asked that they be one. Why, Jesus? Why is that so important? He said, because if they'll be one like you and I are one, God, then the world will know and believe that you have sent me. I mean, that's it. Not worship, not, really, not a lot of church activities, not sending 500 people to Jesus culture. I mean, all of those things are great but churches that hate each other can do that. But when you get along, when you have unity, when his, that steel rod, Jesus, our peace, comes through and weaves through all of us and pulls us tight, and we get along, the world looks at us and says, how are you doing it? Somebody says something that really bugs you, and you don't knock them out. It's amazing. That's a simple thing. It's amazing what a testimony that is. Because how many of you have friends that if you cross them, they're hitting you? I mean, they not, might not be your friends long, but they have a really short fuse, and you know when you cross the line because, like, you felt it. 
Somebody crosses you in front of a friend like that and you don't respond that way, that gets their attention. They want to know why. Why are you different? It's a testimony. John 13, 35 says our love for each other reveals that we're actually Jesus' disciples. So let's start to wrap this up. Um, The last thing that unity is, is it's a challenge. I'm going to go ahead and admit that for you. It's really hard to have unity. It's hard to keep the unity of the Spirit. You know why? Because the person next to you, they will bug you. This guy wrote a book, a best-selling book, a Christian author, and it was called How to Deal with Jerks. What a great title for a book. Don't we all wish we'd written that one? Because people are people, man. That's why Jesus prayed for it four times. He knew that it was going to be hard. Um, we all got different tastes, opinions, preferences. How many of you like Coke better than Pepsi? Raise your hand. Where are my Pepsi people at? Raise your hand. I chuckled about the fact that I'm teaching on unity the day after Carolina and Duke played basketball. I had to give you a moment because Carolina just killed Duke last night. And see, he just said, go heels, and somebody over here was like, yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll tell you something, buddy. <laughs> We've all got different tastes, different preferences. We've all got that. Our enemy knows it. So he would love nothing more than to divide us. And he often does divide us, not so much on doctrine, but he divides us on tastes and preferences. Well, we shall be the church of Coca-Cola. And you can be the church of Pepsi that does not have the spirit of the Lord in it. (laughs) I mean, like, we're idiots, aren't we? Ephesians 6.11 says it's wise to know the devil's schemes. We talk about this all the time. John 10.10, his scheme is to kill, to steal, and to destroy. Matthew 12, 30, Jesus said that he gathers people, and those who don't gather with him scatter. So let's just break this down. A really good rule of thumb. If something's pushing you away from believers, that's not God. Unity is hard. And when people ruffle your feathers, the typical reaction is to take your ball and go home. But that's what children do. Not mature believers in Christ. Unity requires talking to each other. Satan pushes apart, Jesus pulls together. I I love um, Acts 15, 36 to 41. Uh, You don't have to turn there. Let me just summarize it by telling you that's when Paul and Barnabas split. And, you know, I don't know what you would do. I mean... I don't want to call anybody out and embarrass you, but, you know, if you're writing your life story, if you're writing your autobiography for the whole world to see, are you putting the bad stuff in there about you? I don't think you are. I don't think you're going to mention how your breath smells in the morning and how your spouse can't stand to even look at you because you kill them when you say hello. You're putting the good stuff in. God didn't do that. He put the hard stuff in the Bible. It's a tough book. Acts chapter 16, 15, he actually talks about in the Bible how two of the guys that worked for him in his kingdom, Paul and Barnabas, suddenly couldn't get along. 
Because one of them liked a guy and the other guy didn't like the guy. And they just, he went his way and he went his way. They chose to divide. They chose to go separate ways. You know what? Sometimes that happens. And it's possible for that to happen even with unity. Have a discussion. And the, the verse actually says that both of them went on in the grace of God to minister. Unity is hard work. Don't come into gathering thinking that somebody's never going to say something to tick you off. Because they will. And don't feel like you're losing your salvation because you wanted to hit them when they did it. That's just a natural human reaction. But we value the supernatural. Which is, God, forgive me. Because I really want to hit that person that you died for. Help me to fight for the unity of the Spirit. So third, what unity does. We'll just blitz through these real quick. It provides incredible confidence in prayer. Matthew 18, 19 um, talks about if two agree about anything, according to his will, it will be done. I know I give you Greek words all the time, but you know that word for agree in the Greek, it literally is the same word for symphony. Um, so like if y'all were a symphony right now, um, I don't know where the flautist would be. Probably not a man. Um, but, sorry, are there any guys here that play the flute? <laughs> well, I'm not admitting it now. Thank you so much. <laughs> I play the tuba. The tuba. If you were a symphony and I was a conductor, I mean, are we all playing a different instrument? Yeah. And I'm telling you when to play yours, and it sounds fantastic. I love that. There's a verse that says when two people agree on anything, and when we hear the word agree, we always think clone. We must say the same thing and repeat it after me and yada, yada, yada. And we must stand with our leg up in the air while we pray and look to the left of the heavens. I mean, no. Just be who you are with another person who's being who they are and let God work through that. It's a symphony. When you agree with somebody, you're playing your part, they're playing their part, and God is weaving that rod through you. Unbreakable unity. I love that. I love how unity gives you the freedom to be who you are in Christ. Love that. Um, another benefit, it creates the environment for training in ministry. Paul has kind of, all the way through Ephesians, he's, he's talking about, you know, we're, we're going to fight for the unity of the Spirit. We're going to be one. And then from that point, he goes into, hey, because we've got apostles and prophets and teachers, we've got all these gifts of ministry, and that can't happen if we don't have unity. You know, we're going to get to a core value at some point. We'll start talking about how we value ministry training in this place. You can't train for ministry if you're afraid that somebody's going to hurt you when you try. Having unity sets the stage you know, you know kids that are confident, right? You just see them. They just exude confidence. You know how they got that? They didn't order it in the mail. They had parents that trained them, that believed in them, that probably told them hard things, possibly grounded them. It happens. And because of all that, they set the stage for their child to, to stand out, to have confidence. Man, when we have unity, you could do anything. Because you have the confidence that you're equipped for it. That's a good thing. Don't you like to feel that way? 
I can do anything. <sighs> Apparently you don't. <laughs> wow. Third, it creates a fierce loyalty to one another. Galatians 6.2 says to bear one another's burdens. I mentioned last week about Lou Holtz and how he um, you know, had the second greatest turnaround in college football history. They went from zero wins to eight wins and then you know, beating Ohio, Ohio State. They beat Ohio State. I'm saying that to the video because I have friends that will watch this and they're big Ohio State fans. <laughs> it's the second greatest turnaround in college football history. And I told you how they did that. By, remember, he had them stand up in the cafeteria and tell stories. And so that you know, kind of unified them. But he has three questions that he asks everybody when they're going to either be on his team or be on his coaching staff. Here's three questions that he asks. Can I trust you? Are you committed? Do you care about me? Can I trust you? Are you committed? Do you care about me? Let me just say this. When Jesus invades your heart, when he invades my heart, we should be able to answer yes to all three of those questions. Can I trust you? And you can trust me because Jesus is in me and he's in you. Are I, am I committed? I'm all in. Are you committed? I'm all in. Because Jesus was all in. Do you care about me? I have had people tell me the hardest things I've ever heard. And it all came down to, did they care about me? Like, if you know, if I know Phil cares about me, Phil could come to me and say, dude, I'm telling you, let me just say this. You'd be a much better preacher if you would get stuff out of your nose before you start. Because I'm sitting on the front row, and I'm just looking up in your nose the whole time, and it's like, it's really distracting. He could say that, and, and I wouldn't be offended by that. Because he's got my best interest at heart. He cares about me. And ultimately, when people say stuff and we get offended, we choose to be offended by that, it's because we really don't believe that they have our best interest at heart. We really don't believe that they care about us. We really don't trust them. But when we can say yes to trust, yes to, hey, I'm, I'm all in, I'm committed, and yes, I care about you and you care about me, when you have that, you have unbreakable unity. The last thing that unity does, the most important of all, is it validates the mission of Jesus. We've already talked about that, John 17, 21. He said, Father, make them one so that the world will believe, not that the world will hear, will think about, will process it, get back to me later, but the world will believe that you sent me. We actually control whether the world believes the message of Jesus. And all this time we thought it was on them, didn't we? Well, if they just quit being such stubborn jerks, they'd listen when I talk. Mm -mm. If we would just have unity. If we would get along, they will believe that Jesus was sent by the Father. It's because 2 Corinthians 5, 18 says that we have been given a, a ministry of reconciliation. And so when reconciled people actually live reconciled lives, the world takes notice of that. They want some of that. I've had teenagers in my youth groups in the past 
that came to me and said, um, I can't get my friends to come to church. I try. I ask them all the time. And I said, well, I, I know why. I mean, do you want me to tell you why? Yeah, give me the secret. Well, the secret is stop being a jerk. What? I thought you were my friend. Well, I'm kind of your friend, but you're asking them to come to church, and they're looking at how you treat other church members, other youth group members at your school, and they're thinking, why do I need that? I already know how to be mean. I preached this fantastic message one time called, Who Needs the Devil When I've Got You? Because John 10.10 says that the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. And I stood in front of a group of teenagers and said, we don't need the devil. You're doing his job for him. You are stealing. You are killing. You are destroying one another. He doesn't have to do anything here. I don't want to do the devil's job for him. I don't want our church to do his job for him. I want our church to be a place that is so unified that he works overtime to try to break it. And what's going to happen is Satan's going to play Red Rover with the gathering. And what he doesn't know is that we have a steel rod named Jesus. And he's gone through every one of us. And he can send whoever he wants at us. And all Satan's going to do is just run into that rod. Bam! And we'll be like, <laughs> dude, you should try that again. Run faster this time. Try. Run harder. Try over there. Boom! I love that. So this morning we're wrapping up with communion. It's a perfect day to talk about communion. I like that word, common union. That's what we have in Christ. When you take communion this morning, I want you to think about this. The people that are in this room that know Jesus, they're on your side. You're a part of a team of people who are crazy about Jesus, and Jesus is crazy about them. We don't live for ourselves and to ourselves. We live together. Unity is going to be hard, because who does not want us to be unified? Who said Roy Williams? Did you hear that? Oh, I'm sorry. I heard Satan. I'm sorry. What was I thinking? I'm just messing. He's not Satan. It's the other guy. <laughs> Satan, he's, he wants us to be divided. Anything he can do to push us apart. And, you know, again, people preach this kind of stuff because somebody's fighting in the church. I get to preach it because it's something that we value. I don't know if anybody's fighting in the church. If you are, can we sell tickets and fundraiser for the community ends building program? It's a value. We value this. We fully expect each one of you to fight with tenacity to guard the unity that we have here. It is an amazing thing. Psalm 133 says, it's an amazing thing when brothers come together in unity. It is literally, he says, like oil being poured on my head. I thought about doing that illustration, but it had been messy. Being be poured on my head and just flowing down. And that's how unity is. It starts and it just covers everything. I love the song that we sang. Let your grace flow down and cover me. 
That's what unity does. This morning when you come and you take communion, I want you to come and take it. I want you to ask yourself this question. Am I committed? Am I all in? Am I, not just at the gathering, am I all in for unity in the body of Christ? Am I a person who can be trusted? Do I have the best interest of the others at heart? And let communion be your, your way of saying to God, yes, and I'm all in. I'm committed to this. I'm committed to this unity. Let's bow our heads and let's just begin to prepare our hearts for communion. At the gathering, the way we do communion is you, you know, I'll just have, I'll have bread and juice here. Larry has some in this corner and Jay has some in the back corner and we just allow you the chance to just go to, to one of us. Just pull off a piece of the bread. It represents the body of Christ. Dip it in the juice. I'd recommend eating it right away. It tends to get crumbly if you don't. The juice represents the blood of Jesus. He shed his blood. His body was broken. Not so that he could be the hero. He is but so that we might actually be one. It's more than bread and juice. What a statement. And every time we do communion, we get to think about that. God, you are committed to, to our unity. And I know why you're committed to it, God, because if we're not one, I mean, if we don't value unbreakable unity, We've ruined the testimony to the world that you did, in fact, send Jesus to die on a cross to forgive our sins. It's impossible for me to even wrap my brain around how we could take communion and not be one. And so, God, we examine our hearts this morning. I pray that you would just give grace to those that raised their hands earlier. This is a great time just to think through those relationships that we raised our hands about at the beginning of the message. I pray that as we, as we receive communion, God, that we would see that relationship in a different light. Maybe today we're leaving here and we're writing letters when we get home. Maybe we're making a phone call when we get home. God, forgive us. Forgive us for ever dividing a relationship that you were all about reconciling. Make us truly ministers of reconciliation, that the gathering would be known as a place where we are pulling people close to you and close to one another. We want to honor you in our relationships. This, God, is our commitment today as we receive communion. In your name, Jesus.